Vox Pro, powered by TELUS International. Customer experience is the new competitive battleground, and to compete at the highest level, you've got to have an edge. I'm Patrick Hawhey, presenter of the Vox Pro Studios podcast series. We're all about beautiful customer experience, and this podcast is all about giving you that edge. Welcome to Vox Pro Studios. Now, on the Vox Pro Studios podcast series, you learn all about world-class CX from our interviews with the chief customer officers of some of the world's biggest technology companies. That Those companies include Spotify, Airbnb, Nest, Salesforce, Headspace, the list goes on. And by the way, make sure to subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode because you never know when you're going to hear that something that might make a critical difference to how you do what you do in the world of, of, of customer experience. But as you look through our back catalogue, you will also see interviews with the top thought leaders in the world of customer experience. These are the people with the deep data, the actionable insights, the vision of where CX is going. Uh, to paraphrase ice hockey star Wayne Gretzky, these are the people who will help you skate to where the puck is going, not to where it is right now. And my guest this episode is a leading light in this space. She's an architect of the customer experience movement, an author, a keynote speaker, a CX coach. Her client list is far too long to go through right now, but it includes names like Zappos, Citrix, Symantec, Adobe, Yahoo, some of the world's biggest companies. And most impressive of all, she's a fellow podcaster, host of the Chief Customer Officer Human Duck Tape Show. Jean Bliss, welcome to Vox Pro Studios. Thank you. Gosh, it's so great to be with you. <laughs> and actually, your ears may have been burning a few months ago because a great friend of the show, a great friend of Vox Pro Power by TELUS International, Ashling Hassel, the head of CX for Airbnb, who I know you right. know well, was, was singing your praises not so long ago on the podcast. You guys go back a while. We do. We do. We go back to her semantic days a long time ago when we were, you know, this work has been so interesting. We're we're figuring it out and then we're stopping and then we're looking back and it's just, it's been just really terrific to have these journeys with so many people, you know, you start as clients or colleagues and, and we, we are all friends. So it's uh, fantastic. Tell her, I, I have to shout out to her. <laughs> hey, Ashley. <laughs> I will, of course. I'll pass it on. She'll be listening. Okay. So before, so I mentioned that this is an area that, that you, you've been so involved in, but not just from the, that sort of thought leadership coaching space. You were, you were uh, a number of times you were the chief customer experience officer in a number of companies. Is that right? It, it is right. You know, it's been the reason why that I think that I um, connect with our leaders is because I was one myself. This work is very, very uncommon and unexpected. It's got a totally different approach to how you're successful that's different than a traditional silo job. So, yes, I had the great fortune to do this work at Lands End, Microsoft, Allstate, Mazda, and Coldwell Banker Corporations. In many cases, um, reporting right to the CEO or to the very senior level of the organization. And and I started doing this work way back in the 80s when we didn't have labels for anything, but we were nonetheless doing the work. work. We were pioneering um, this approach to, I call it, earning the right to growth. So you mentioned that this this wasn't really a thing back then. So what what was it? What what was customer <laughs> experience to people in in companies? 
Well, you know, I I had I always credit Lands End. If people know Lands End, it's it's a, a um, catalog company in Wisconsin. Sometimes people confuse it with LL Bean, which is another fantastic, wonderful, admirable company. Um, but Lands End was, um, in many ways, considered to be the Zappos of its day, if you think about it in that kind of approach. But we were growing at eighty percent a year, and um, we we were really focused on the customer. I mean, we were doing lifetime value in the '80s, if you can under, if you can believe that, Patrick. We were um, we had mapped the touch points of the journey in 1984. Jan Carlson had come out with his his book, um, you know, the Moments of Truth. He was the CEO of SAS Airlines, and uh, I gobbled that up, of course. And so, in fact, when we went public. In the late um, 80s, I presented the moments of truth to the financial analyst com- community and connected the dots between doing those things right, earning advocacy and, and the growth in the marketplace, which was a factor in our valuation as a company. Um, and so that, you know, we were and, and again, Land's End was fortunate because we were not a SaaS company, but we had as much rich data as many SaaS companies do. We had information and buying habit information. But most importantly, we were bonding in a very real way with customers, having very real, true and honest conversations and very customized conversations. Mm By 1987, I was doing what we called selectronic inserts into people's shipping boxes based on what their last order was and how much if they had children. And, And so we were practicing so much of what people are trying to get to today in, in, in an early, early variation of that. And so um, for me, Land's End was the beginning of my career. It created my career, really. And then I went on to Mazda. Mazda was um, one of the marketplace entrants in the you know Japanese automobile industry. When I got to them, they had, um, you, you'll get a kick out of this, Patrick, you know, 24 flat files, no relational database. And so the work initially there was integrating it so we could see the lifetime span of the customer. Um, In that work, I also created the lifetime value model and um, the triggers, if you will, the touch points that needed to occur across the life cycle of a um, car experience. At, at, At all state, it was recognizing the emotions and humanity that comes along with buying insurance and rebuilding and rethinking many of the approaches in insurance um, around how customers misunderstand or understand their insurance to be. And that's why so much of what you see now on accident forgiveness and more clarity and communication, all of that we began back in the late 90s at Allstate. So on and on and on it goes. And then I went to Microsoft and in a very, very large, large corporation like Microsoft, it's finding initially the pockets of pain, if you will, some people call it friction, and also finding advocate leaders, perhaps in one country over another, and building a living laboratory of um, things that need to be done. It also meant more, perhaps, basic things, such as I think when I got there, we had 200 different 800 numbers. So when you're in in an organization such as Microsoft, a lot of it is cat herding initially and then finding and proving and finding and proving and finding and proving. And so I did that for about 25 years. 
um, across those five industries. And uh, that I felt formed a, a good basis to then go out and try to help others in the work. So this was in incredibly pioneering stuff, as you say, back in the 80s, back in the early 90s. Would you, as someone taking this approach or in a company taking this approach, would you have been in the minority or certainly not in the majority? Well, there was a lot of convincing and conversation and um, uniting that had to be done. I think that's, you know, what's interesting about this work is that it has to be a right brain, left brain person, somebody who can look comprehensively, but then also break it into its bite-sized pieces. In fact, many of the concepts that people have really glommed onto in my books are the notion of, for example, the power core, um, something I learned and then found a way to articulate in my first book, Chief Customer Officer, and my other books on the CCO role, which is you need to first, for example, recognize the core of power that drives the majority of the conversations in the business, the majority of the resources, and is the comfort zone of leaders. So, for example, in any technology company, most of them, it's product development and engineering. And so, for example, at Microsoft, in order to gain any traction, we really needed to uh, ring the bell of the engineers. And um, that's why, for example, you, you people may or may not remember, there's a box that used to pop up that said, we noticed that you've encountered a problem. Would you like to tell Microsoft about it? That's something that was called the Dr. Watson box inside yeah. the company. Well, that was to send a beeline directly to developers. And so when you know the power core of the company, it gives you a, a pretty clear strategy of where you need to gain traction first to earn the right to continue to do the work. And so, you know, you learn in those in those moments how to be a leader of change when people don't even aren't even asking for it or don't recognize that yeah. it's important. It's like when they say you got to get people on the bus. You you do, and the bus is moving and it's moving really quickly, and people don't want. You know, it's just a really you can use a million analogies, um, but but then the other big thing is really around that I recognized early days was this notion of are we what is our what is how are we defining success? You know, I I, I know we want to track um, survey scores, and that's certainly one component of it, but. But another more simpler component is, are you growing or shrinking your customer base and their behavior as your advocate? And are you fused to them? You know, the, are, are you, you know, honoring and managing your customer as the important people that they are? And are you recognizing um, that the growth or loss of this customer base is a true, simple metric to be shared across the organization? So I, I don't think I would have, I mean, in fact, I know I wouldn't have been able to articulate any of these concepts if I hadn't been in the trenches for all those years trying to get that work done. So when it's an interesting concept, so the the, the growth shrink, if, if you're in a company that customer base is shrinking, it's probably a lot easier to knock on the doors and get people to listen to what you've got to say as the chief customer officer. But if you're in a company where the customer base is growing, do you feel, it, have you experienced that it's, it's a lot harder, even though you know that it can grow that much more if people will sort of listen to your approach? Um, but because of it's growing, you're not getting that voice. Well, here's what's interesting about rapid growth or growth in general is that you actually hold yourself open inadvertently to vulnerability or value erosion moments if 
you're growing through acquisition and not necessarily through organic customer growth. Um, because it, it, it and, and that's why when we do this work, we talk about new customers' volume and value and lost customers' volume and value. So you've got to look at the net asset growth, not just incoming customers. And, and a lot of companies are looking just at new customers, Patrick, and that's where they're getting a false positive. Um, and, and even when your existing customer growth does seem solid and strong, one of the things we've been able to identify is even your best customers, let's say people who give you a 10 on your NPS, if you like NPS or love you, um, when you when you ask in another way, which is, for example, tell us one thing you'd like us to improve or what's getting in your way of getting the true value or is there value, they will tell you a litany of things. And so some of that has to be about being very deliberate about fending off value erosion, being proactive and recognizing that even though you're doing fine now in a world of disruption, there, there will be others. And so you can't ever rest. Resting is not part of growth. Okay. So you gathered all this experience and as you say, got all this frontline experience on the trenches. Um, but you wanted to take it further and you wanted to share your experience and share your knowledge. So you went on to co-found the Customer Experience Professionals Association. Tell us a little bit about the motivation behind that. Sure. Now, I mean, the CXPA came many years, quite honestly, after um, I had been doing the, you know, I had written the Chief Customer Officer book and then um, my book, I Love You More Than My Dog. And then Customer Experience Professionals Association came about and that was a partnership is a partnership that um, started with uh, my friend and colleague, Bruce Temkin. We, um, we both had a very invested purpose in, you know, making this a true, a true career and establishing clarity in how you build that career, how you grow that career, how you make not just these roles, but the, but the work uh, about, growth and business and leadership inside of the organization. And up until then, it was a bunch of us who had got who had been doing the work, but we didn't have a place to congregate and network with each other. You know, if you think about the American Medical Association or Marketing Association or any of these, there there was no such thing for uh, people who were doing this work that which which we were all very passionate about. So you formed the association. Now, what I'm interested in, when you gather a group of people in, who, who are in this role and you put that together with all of the people you've worked with since your time and in your time with, with, the, um, with these major companies, what are the, and you mentioned, you touched on it a few minutes ago, that sort of right, left brain, uh, the ability to work both. Uh, and along with that, what are some of the key qualities? What are some of the common qualities that you, that you can see in people who are really, really good at customer experience delivery? Sure. Well, when I coach people and I, I help a lot of organizations as they're trying to figure out how they're going to move this work as part of a tenant of the growth of their business, whether they're going to name someone to the role or figure out in their organization what their version of this is to, to embed this really customer-driven approach to the business. If you're naming someone to the role or moving somebody forward, there there's a set of skills that I have found through practice of almost 35 years in doing this work in, in both practical and personal experience, which are the following. We find that the most successful people 
have run a business operation, whether it's a P&L where they're running a product or they're running the call center or they've run finance or we've had people go into this, leading this work from IT, some CIOs or HR, but it's, it's critical to have been part of the business operation. And the reason for that is that it's the in the weeds work and us relationships and how to do the heavy lifting of an organization that gives you um, context. It's if it's looked at just as strategy and not getting into the bones or the underbelly of the business, then it will lay on top of it and it will never get in. So that's number one. And, and that's about credibility. And the, the second piece of that is credibility from the standpoint that this person has always led almost intuitively at these times from a customer driven standpoint and employee, they are great leaders. They ask the right questions. They're guiding in a way. Um, uh, and, and, and this, the next thing is that they, that they have great, if you're picking someone from inside of the organization, they have great credibility in terms of the way they've built relationships. They are a collaborative leader. They are a person who can check their ego at the door because this work, unlike our traditional ways to succeed inside of business is not about shining the light on our individual work, but rather bringing all of the facets of the organization together, establishing a viewpoint and insight so that people get the highlight and the recognition of how the work needs to get go together and then shining the spotlight back on success that's been achieved um, through through people coming together in a different way than before. And those are really important characteristics that we found define uh, leadership because this is a mature, at, at the C-suite level, if you're leading this at the C-suite level, this is a mature leadership role. It is um, someone who's been in business a while. For example, I have many CCOs I've coached who have been the president of one division of their organization and then went on to become the global uh, chief customer officer, if you will. So these people, all of the people that you work with, all of the people that you coach, is there a, a sort of a common trend to the things they find most difficult about the job, the things that they want help with most and your guidance with most? Well, I, you know, I mean, some of what it is initially is assessing where the organization is, um, how to unite the leadership team, how to get engagement. You know, it, it's going to depend when I work with an organization, some of it is going to be really determining uh, where they are, who they need to engage with, and then honoring the past to move forward with the future. And so it's... Um, it's, it's very critical that we do that assessment. You know, who are the advocates? Who are the outliers? And then um, how will we engage with the organization? Because often, if you're not careful, the role can turn into pitching and begging, pitching decks and begging for resources. But there's a whole other way where we do it, where you're actually giving people ownership and engaging the organization and building the engine um, that creates a repeatable approach for how you identify and focus and improve not only customers' lives but employees' lives, and that connects to these five competencies that I work on. You mentioned your the, the, your five core competencies there, and and one of those touches on the whole area of proving 
being able to prove the ROI connection between experience and growth. So if if you were finding it, generally if you're finding it difficult to get the ear of the right person in a company, if you can prove ROI to what you're suggesting, uh, people listen up pretty quickly. Well, you know, ROI is, it's a funny word because this is also about the legacy of the organization and how a company chooses to behave to grow. And so, yes, there are going to be critical and important ROI conversations, but if ROI is the only reason you want to improve customers' lives or you want to do CX, the only reason you want to do CX is ROI, then you're going to almost be cut off at the knees every time because there are investment things that have to be done as well. However, um, the, the customer asset growth metric is one of the very first ones, and it's I call it the first competency, and that is very, very critical to, um, to this work. So are you losing or growing uh, the volume and value of customers? But then after that, we need to care about the why. And it's by starting with the growth or loss of the customer base that creates this focus on the why that then lets us navigate across the rest of the customer journey and start to understand the value erosion moments and the value growth moments that are opportunities. But it, you, you need to then flip everything from the customer standpoint. And that's when the shift really occurs. I'm going to ask you what's probably going to be a really difficult question, Jean, because you work with so many of the world's top brands and you're going to find it difficult to pick just one. But maybe you won't have to. You might get around it. I always ask guests to the Vox Plus Studios podcast series, is there a sort of a is there one company in the world that you believe embodies the, the, the those wonderful elements of really top class customer experience? Is there someone you would say, look to these guys, they know what they're doing and we can all learn from them? Oh gosh, I, you know I don't want to pick just one company. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I, I just spent I just spent th- four years writing this. Would you do that to your mother? Book and there's f- unbelievable pockets of every industry doing very very admirable things. From the Mayo Clinic who hides the scary equipment in children's rooms behind pictures so children don't see it, <laughs> yeah. to um, Virgin Hotels, who who chose to walk away from nickeling and diming their customers by charging what they call market pricing on that bottle of water, so you don't crack open a seven dollar bottle in the middle of the day, in the middle of the night. Um, to certainly, you know, Southwest, who's hung tight to not charging for baggage or changing fees, and, and so I think that. For me, what I am trying to guide people toward is that admirable acts exist in all of our companies. What we need to do is identify that we are taking them and try to find a way to make that be bred as the way that we will behave throughout the whole organization. That was an excellent answer, Jean, and very diplomatic as well. So, <laughs> well done. <laughs> okay, one of my one of my final questions because you've given me so much time here. Is there anything that you ever miss about being the CCO within a company? You know, I miss the the, the deep relationships that you have when you're living day in and day out with people. Um, you know, I I I miss the the joy of clicking it in. But I have to say with my work coaching organizations, I, you know, I really become part. I, I, even though my engagements with clients 
stop formally. I, I've stayed in touch with them and it's just been an exceedingly rewarding way to spend this part of my career. Yeah, and I think it's just so, it just shines through that you live and breathe this. Do you know what I mean? This is just part of your fabric, isn't it? Customer experience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've been fortunate. You know, I tell people I grew up, my dad had a Buster Brown shoe store where he was kind of heralded as this wonderful man who was part of people's lives. And then my first big job out of college was Land's End. And so it... I couldn't have been set up any better for doing this work. That's really part of who I am as a person. That's fantastic. Now, final, final question. You you were asked sure. you were asked last year um, by somebody, an, an interviewer, where you see the CX industry going. And you said, I quote, I'm a little afraid because whenever something becomes super popular, such as CX, we can lose the heart of it and the meaning of it. And it can very easily turn into work streams and tasks and red and yellow and green dots. So can I ask you, how do you believe we can keep the heart in CX going forward? Well, I I fundamentally believe this is leadership and we've we've given it a wrapper of CX when really this is about engaging the leadership of the organization um, with examples of choices of how they'll grow uh, clarity around what they stand for. Um, getting rid of things that get in employees' way. And and that's, and then, yes, of course, using the tools of CX to enable that. But we, we put the mechanics in front of the meaning. And I think we got to get turn that back around in the, in, in the right order. Jean Bliss, it has been a pleasure speaking with you today. Thank you so much. And um, I would encourage everybody to log on to customerbliss.com um, for, uh, to read Jean's wonderful insights and blog, etc. And of course, you can listen to Jean on a regular basis at the Chief Customer Officer Human Duct Tape Show, which I would encourage you to subscribe to, as well, of course, as subscribing to VoxPro Studios for more of these fantastic interviews. Jean Bliss, thanks so much for joining us at VoxPro Studios today. Thank you. It's such a pleasure to be with you. Vox Pro, powered by TELUS International. And for more insights from the masters of customer experience, you can subscribe to the Vox Pro Studios podcast channel on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to check out voxbrokegroup.com for all of our latest articles, ebooks, and CX thought leadership. For now, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Vox Pro Studios, where insights live.